Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, we will begin reading at verse 4, and we'll read to verse 12. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world? but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. I'm going to skip verse 7. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he has testified of his Son, that he that believes on the Son of God has the witness in himself. He that believes not God has made him a liar, because he believes not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life. And he that has not the Son of God has not life. Let's pray once more. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We praise you for this time to get together. Thank you for the privilege of gathering together, to sing together and to rejoice in you with joy. Thank you, God, for your word that speaks to us, that's relevant in the 21st century. Lord, that's so powerful and clean and refined. And I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning from your word. Help us to understand what it is we read and fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might rejoice in what you've done for us and truly understand and truly see what it is you've done for us and what we have in you who have believed. We pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, have you guys ever uh, participated in the sport of archery? How many of you have ever uh, been an archer or done archery before? Yeah? I remember when I was younger, I, I went to a camp and at that camp, they had uh, archery. Uh, they had an archery session, and I would like to go there because I, I thought it was neat to shoot the bow and arrow at the bullseye. I actually don't have any really funny archery stories except for this. Um, our instructor shot a bullseye once, and I saw it. And uh, after he shot the bullseye, he began to tell us that he was actually the, uh, the stuntman who would shoot the bow and arrow during the Robin Hood movies, he said. He was the guy who shot the bone arrow during the Robin Hood movie. And I was young enough that I actually believed him. <laughs> but I was kind of unsure. <laughs> but it just shows you, you know, when you're young, you're really believing, aren't you? And I was like, really? Is that true? That guy really shot in the Robin Hood movies? <clears throat> now, when you do archery, you have a bullseye, right? And a bullseye is uh, it's circular. It has all these circles within circles. And that is called concentric circles. Uh, concentric circles is when 
you have circles that share the same center. So it doesn't matter how big the circle is or how small, you could have a small circle and it shares that center with a big circle that shares that exact same center. If you shoot an arrow and hit the bullseye, you've hit the dead center of all those circles, even though they're different circles. Those are called concentric circles, right? And John the Apostle, when he wrote 1 John, he writes in a way that's sort of similar to concentric circles. He's basically saying one thing, but he's saying it many different ways. And when you get that one thing, you're basically getting everything that he's saying, even though he's saying it a little bit differently. And this is a little different than Paul, who writes in kind of a line. When you read the book of Romans, for example, he's not writing in circles like this, like John, who keeps repeating himself, but adding more and more and more, or you could say like a spiral. But with Paul, he has a starting point. You can follow his argument to the next point, to the next point, to the next point, right? And this is how John writes in circles, however. And do you remember what, what's John's main point, do you think? God loves you. Yes, certainly. That's in there, right? John says, I write these things that you might have joy. John says, we have a message. We apostles have a message for you. That message is the gospel. And if you believe the gospel, then you have eternal life and you know God. That's his basic message, isn't it? If you believe in the Son, well, first of all, if you believe in our message about the Son, which is the true message of Jesus Christ, then you know the Son of God. And if you know the Son of God, then you know God. You know the Father. And you have eternal life with Him. And John writes 1 John to encourage us. There's no sense in 1 John that he is suspicious of the believers suspicious of the people and he says you know there's all these false christians mixed into our congregations and we're going to weed them out with a letter with one foul swoop i'm going to give a bunch of tests and these tests are going to weed out all the false false brothers that's not how john's writing he tells us repeatedly in first john that he's not writing because he doesn't because you don't know the truth he's writing because you know it and he wants you to know that you have eternal life he wants you to know that you know god he wants you to have joy. Every Christian, brothers and sisters, if you have believed the gospel, God wants you to know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know that you know him. God wants you to know that you can have joy. And just like we sang, you can have joy anytime. You can bless God's name at any time and be filled with that joy. The tests that he gives are not made for non-Christians. The test that John gives, what are these tests? Essentially two, right? I mean, like I said, there's one bullseye, but there's these different ways he says it. But these tests, do you believe the apostolic message concerning Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you love the brethren? Or do you hate the brethren? Right? Examine yourself to see. When you meet someone who claims to be righteous through faith in Christ, does that disgust you? Does that make you think that that person is wrong? Does that make you want to distance yourself from that person? Or do you feel a kinship with that person, a love for that person who shares that same faith as you? These are simple tests, right? And there's two reasons why John gives these tests. He gives these tests to Christians because, number one, he wants to, as a pastor, encourage the Christians. Because, you know, many Christians doubt whether they're actually Christians. Have you ever doubted your salvation before? Do you think that if you ever doubt your salvation, you, you must not really be saved? You know, what if I am not really believing? What if I am not really a Christian? Because I sinned, right? 
because I did some bad thing. And Christians don't do those bad things, right? Have you ever thought that? I must not be a Christian. And John gives you this test to encourage you. He says, no, let's see. Now, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe he rose from the dead? Do you believe that you're saved by grace in him? You say, well, yeah. Well, then you're born of God. And you can rejoice in him. Because that's what it's all about, John's saying. So it's for your encouragement. If you're ever doubting, you can go to 1 John. Ironically, if you're, 1 John, unfortunately, has been a great cause for doubting for many people. But let me encourage you, if you are doubting, go to 1 John and read it. And be encouraged by what he says, because it's simple. The other reason why he gives this test to Christians, these tests, is to protect them against false teachers. Because if a false teacher comes along, and he starts saying things that are contrary to the apostolic gospel, then you can say, hey, it says here that if someone says they know God, but they don't confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, then they're not of God. Well, he says he knows Christ, and he says he knows God, but he's saying something different than the gospel. So I know I'm not supposed to follow him. That's for the Christian to protect him. But it's not for non-Christians, because if you go to a false brother, and you say, now, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? He's going to say, absolutely I do. He's not going to even understand the test. He's not even going to know what that means to believe that Jesus is the Christ or to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So it's for those who are born again. And this is what John, 1 John, is all about. Assurance that you may have assurance and be protected in simple faith in Christ. Now let's look at verse 4. Verse 4 of chapter 5. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. John is now talking about the invincibility of a Christian. The invincibility of a Christian. He's saying, if you are born again, if you are born of God, then nothing is going to overcome you. You have overcome the world. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. John's talking about the invincibility of the Christian. He's already mentioned this before. Actually, flip back with me to chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. John has already mentioned this invincibility that you have if you're a believer. This is shocking stuff, by the way, for people that aren't Christians. They're gonna say, what do you mean the invincibility? What do you mean? You've got to always be on the alert. You've got to always be uncertain, right? John's encouraging us. He says in verse 27, to those whom he's confident are Christians. He says, the anointing which you have received of him abides in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie, even as it has taught you, you shall abide, you shall abide in him. Isn't that amazing? What a comfort and an encouragement. You shall abide in him. Basically, everything in 1 John that he has said about believing in Christ and loving the brethren, a person can only do it if they are born of God. Right? A person can only do those things if they are born of God. John wants us to have security. Whatever God does lasts forever. Now, do you guys believe that when you became a Christian, that was something that you did? When you became a Christian, was that merely something that you did? That wasn't God who did that. That was something that you did. The scriptures teach us actually that when we become Christians, 
It's actually something that God does in us. And sure, there's a side to it where we do it, right? We believe. But the reason why we believe is because God was at work in us and gave us that faith to believe. Because God does the work, it lasts forever. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Notice this, brothers and sisters, here in Ecclesiastes 3. Verse 14. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 14. This is a basic principle throughout the Bible. Chapter 3. 14. Chapter 3, verse 14. (laughs) And what I want you to see here is that this is a basic principle throughout the Bible, that whatever God does lasts forever. It says here in Ecclesiastes 3.14, I know that whatsoever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God does it that men should fear before him. If God is the one who saved you, can anything be taken from that? And can anything be added to that? Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Let's go back to 1 John. First John 5. What does it mean to overcome the world, do you think? <clears throat> Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. What does that mean to overcome the world? And brothers and sisters, it means simply this. And John says it in the next verse, verse 5. Who is he that overcomes the world but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The entire system of the world that Satan owns and controls is attempting to keep you from believing that Jesus is the Son of God. John is not saying, you overcome the world when you stop sinning and you've become a good person through your works. And worldliness is when you go out and do bad things. And you overcome when you stay in and do good things. This is not what John is saying. Because there's many people that don't even believe the gospel and you know what? Their lives, when, to the eyes of, of men, are very, are very moral and good, right? But to John, they'd say, they have been overcome by the world. The world still has defeated them. Satan still controls them because they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God and they don't believe in the gospel. The world does not want you to believe in the gospel. Satan does not want you to believe in the gospel. He wants you to get religious. He wants you to join a church and become a moral person and seek to be right with God through your own righteousness. That makes sense to the natural man. That makes sense to most people. But overcoming the world to John is believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loves him 
that begat loves him also that is begotten of him. Here he says, we are born of God. And the proof of that is that we believe that Jesus is the Christ. And notice it doesn't say in verse 4 that you have to overcome the world to be born of God, but that you overcome the world because you are born of God. I want to look at a few verses in the Gospel of John regarding what it means to be born again. So flip to the Gospel of John with me. John chapter 1. In 1 John we learn that to be born of God has to do with believing the Gospel. To be born of God has to do with believing, has to do with faith. And look at in the Gospel of John with me together. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 12. Notice how being born of God has to do with faith. Verse 12. As many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So here, if you believe on the name of the Son of God, then it shows that you were born not of the will of man, nor of the will of God, of the will of the flesh, but of the will of God. So it's kind of like an introduction to the Gospel of John when he says this. We're going to see this theme throughout the Gospel of John. In chapter 3 of John, Jesus says, you must be born again. You must be born again, he says. Chapter 3, verse 3. And you know what Jesus proceeds to tell Nicodemus? He says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So right after saying, you must be born again, he then goes on to talk about believing in Christ. Because Nicodemus says, what do you mean? You have to go into your mother's womb again? And, he, and Jesus proceeds to say, when the Son of God is lifted up and you look to him, just like Moses lifted up the bronze snake, you will not perish. God sent his Son into the world that if you believe in him, you will not perish. He that is of God believes. He that isn't doesn't believe, is what Jesus is talking about. So again, being born again has to do with faith, has to do with believing. If you believe you've been born, if you don't, you haven't. Go to chapter 6, John chapter 6, verse 37. Our little survey of John here. 6.37. Although start in verse 36. But I say unto you that you have seen me and believe not. There were people that met Jesus face to face personally. And they did not believe in him. And the reason is, is because they were not born of God. Jesus says in verse 37, All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will in no way cast out. Verse 39, And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he has given to me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again on the last day. Look at verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And it is written in the prophets that they shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that has heard and has learned of the Father comes to me. So if you don't come to Christ, it's because you've not heard and learned of the Father. But if you do come to Christ, it's because the Father taught you. You heard him. 
it was given unto you to come. Look at verse 65. Jesus says, Therefore I said, I said unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of the Father. Go to chapter 8. John chapter 8. 42. Now, remember, we're talking about being born of God. And here he says, If God were your Father, if you were born of God, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he that sent me. That kind of sounds like 1 John 5.1. Everyone that's born of God loves those who are begotten of God, right? If, if you were born of God, you'd love those who are of God. If you were born of God, you'd accept Christ. If you were born of God, you'd love the brothers who accept Christ too, who are also born of him. Verse 43. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Again, because you're not born of God and you've not been taught by the Father, you can't even hear and understand. Have you ever talked with a non-believer, a non-Christian, and tried to explain to them the gospel? And it's like they just cannot understand what you're saying. Do you know what I'm talking about? At the fair this last few days, we talked to many people, and some people understood, and some people didn't understand. And the, the man we prayed for earlier, his name's Evan, he himself admitted, he says, I don't even get what you're saying. I can't even understand it. You're not making any sense to me. It's complete foolishness. And as the scriptures say, those who are perishing, the gospel's foolishness, right? He couldn't understand. And just like Jesus said, why can you not understand? It's because you're not, you don't hear. The Father hasn't taught you. You're not born of God. You're of your father, the devil. You don't understand. Look down a few more verses here. Verse 47, very important. And you find this also in 1 John. He that is of God hears God's words. You therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. It's really that simple. You know that many people in the Christian church think that in order to be born of God, you have to believe. Have you ever heard that before? Believe the gospel in order to be born of God. If you want to be born again, then you need to believe the gospel. But in the New Testament and to God, if you want to believe the gospel, you must be born again. It works in that way. You believe because you're of God. And if you think, well, my goodness, well, how does that work then? I mean, don't I determine whether I'm born of God or not? Don't I get to decide that? And isn't that what John said at the beginning of John 1? Not of the will of flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. When, when you believe the gospel, brothers and sisters, it's because God caused you to be born again. And that's his work. And his work lasts forever. And that's why John says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. It cannot be snuffed out. Because the reason why you believe the gospel is because it's been given unto you of the Father. Now, this is supposed to be very encouraging. I don't know about you, but this is some of the most encouraging thoughts in Scripture because sometimes you think, my goodness, I just don't know if I'm going to make it. When you think about your own weaknesses, when you think about your own inadequacies, I mean, when you think about the rest of your life that's before you and all the challenges that you have to face, and you can think, 
I know who I am and I'm weak and I don't think I'm going to make it. And you can just remember what John said, that whatever is born of God does overcome the world because it's God who's your father. It's God who has done that work in you. You have believed because it's been given unto you to believe. One more verse in John, the gospel, and then we'll go back to 1 John. Chapter 10, verse 27. John 27. But starting in verse 26, he says, Jesus says, red letter, but you believe not because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And in the Greek, it's actually never, no, never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them to me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? And you say, well, how do I know if I've been born again? Because this is really important stuff. I mean, I need to be in Christ's hand. I need, to be, I need to be saved. I need to make sure that I'm a Christian, right? How do you know you're born again? He that believes. He that believes. He that hears. He that accepts Christ. He that understands the gospel has been born of God. And do you understand? Ask yourself. Test yourself. Do you understand what we've been preaching here do you understand that it's by grace that you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves, that it's the gift of God? Do you understand that you're a sinner who doesn't deserve eternal life but that Christ died for your sins and through his death on the cross, you're forgiven and have eternal life? Do you understand that? Are you understanding that or are you like our friend Evan who couldn't understand that? Made no sense. That was two plus two equals five to him. It didn't make any sense. If you understand it, then rejoice because it's been given unto you of the Father to believe that and no one can snatch you out of God's hand. That's a beautiful and wonderful thing that John wants us to know. If you've believed, you'll never perish. No, never. I don't know about you, but when I think about that, when I get that, that I'm totally secure, that I'm going, I have eternal life. I'm going to go to God when I die. I'm going to live forever with him. It doesn't depend upon my works. I can't lose it. And it's all because he did that for me. That fills me with joy and love for God. My father. Just like John Newton said, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come and it's grace that has brought me here thus far, and it is grace that will lead me home. Every Christian should be able to sing that song. You shouldn't sing that song like, I hope that's the case for me. God wants you to sing that and say, it's grace that's brought me this far. I'm only here because of grace, and I'm going to make it to the end because of grace. Now the question obviously is, well, what about those who fall away? Eli? Aren't there those who fall away? Doesn't the scripture warn us about falling away? Haven't you ever known anybody who was following Christ at one time and then departed from the faith? Does anyone here know anyone that at one time professed to be a Christian, 
It was believing and fell away. I do. So if being born again brings faith, and someone had faith but then they fell away and they're not Christians anymore, well, what does that, what does that mean? I mean, doesn't that contradict what you've just been saying? We'll go to 1 John chapter 2, and here's what John says about that. John answers that question by explaining to us that if somebody walks away from Christ, that means that they were not truly born again. Because as we've just learned, if someone is born again, they overcome the world. If they don't overcome the world, it obviously means that they weren't born again. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, John says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. It proves that they weren't really born of God. It proves it. Now, I want to say this, that many, many people profess to believe in Christ, but they don't truly believe in Christ. Because to believe in Jesus Christ is to believe something that's not just general, but something that's very specific. And because it's very specific, but there's a lot of general things you could believe about Christ, there are many people that appear to believe in Christ that really don't. When I was, um, when I was younger, in my teens, I had a friend. I had, I had three friends. The four of us, we, it was funny, before I even began to travel, do any of my travels, we decided that we were going to travel around the world and preach the gospel. I had four friends. We were really excited and zealous for God. These guys were very zealous for God. These guys read their Bibles all day. They prayed long hours. They were excited about traveling all around the world and preaching about Christ. All three of those friends are no longer believers at all. They're all atheists and don't believe anymore. And now as I think about it, I can think about that and I can say, well, my goodness, they fell away. So maybe, you know, the scripture's wrong that those who are born again overcome the world and it's not true. But as I really think about it, I realize that those three friends did not understand the gospel. And as a matter of fact, I didn't understand the gospel either at that point in my life. We thought, you know, we believe much of the Bible. We believe that there was a God. We believe that he was a trinity. We believe that Jesus was his son. We believe that Jesus was the Messiah. We believe that Jesus died on the cross. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We believe that it's forgiveness of sins comes through Jesus Christ. And we were going to go to preach to people to stop their sins and to repent so that they could be forgiven. <laughs> Time to be righteous. Right? God <laughs> commands everyone to o- obey him. That's what we were thinking. Now, most everybody would have thought we were Christians. We went to church. We sang the songs. We were very sincere and zealous about Christ. We didn't understand the gospel. We were not born again. And so, it's fairly common and not unusual to be fooled and to think that, oh, this person's really a Christian because they come to church and they say they believe in Christ. Do they really believe 
the gospel? Do they believe that specific message about Jesus? Do they understand the grace of God? That's the question. And if they walk away, it proves that they didn't really understand. You remember the parable of the, the seed and the sower? Jesus shared about a sower went out to sow seed, and some fell upon the hard ground, and some fell upon the, uh, the ground that was not, didn't have much soil or root, and some fell among the thorns, and it was choked. But that which fell upon the good ground, it, it grew and bore fruit, right? And in Matthew 13, when Jesus shares that, he actually prefaces his explanation of that parable by saying, Unto you it's given to understand the things of the kingdom of God, but to those who are without, even what they have not will be taken from them. You remember that? Even what he says, whoever doesn't, whoever has will be given more, and whoever doesn't have, whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Hold on, what do you mean? They don't have. And even what they have will be taken from them. So they actually, there's people that actually have nothing. It appears that they have something. Even what they have will be taken from them. And Jesus goes on to say, and if you notice carefully in this parable, did you know that there's only one soil that actually understands the word? Did you know that? The only soil that Jesus says understands the word is the good soil. He says, but the good soil is that which receives the word and understands it. That's what Jesus says. So you could hear the gospel and get all excited about it and not understand it and fall away. Because the good soil is the only one that actually understands. Even what you, those who don't understand, even what they have will be taken from them. That's the teachings of Jesus. 1 John chapter 5, John then proceeds to get specific. Look at verse 6. Because what does he say? Whoever is born of God overcomes the world. This is what it means to overcome. This is what it means to be born of God. It's to believe in Christ. And now what are we talking about when we say believe in Christ? Look how in verse 6 he gets very specific. He's not talking about believing in Jesus in general. So many people can say they believe in Jesus. Here's what he says in verse 6. This is he, that... Here's who I'm talking about in verse 6. If you're born of God, you believe in Jesus Christ, and you know who I'm talking about? This Jesus Christ. This Jesus Christ. This is he who came by water and blood. So I'm not talking generally. I'm talking specifically. Do you believe in this Jesus Christ who came by water and blood? Not by water only. If you believe that, you would have the wrong Jesus. You could believe all day in a Jesus that came by water only, but if you don't believe in the Jesus that came by water and blood, then you're not a Christian. Here's who I'm talking about, John's saying. And it's kind of an ambiguous verse, right? What does it mean who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and blood? What does that mean? Well, there's many ideas of what that could mean, people put forth, but there's pretty much only one interpretation that really fits the facts seems to make sense. It's talking about Christ coming when he was baptized and Christ coming through death as well. And I don't know if you realize this, but that's the, that's the two termini of Christ's ministry. That's the beginning and the end of his ministry. His ministry began with his baptism and it ended with his death, essentially. 
Of course, he was resurrected and he went to the Father, but he said it's finished at the cross. So essentially what John is saying is, do you believe in the Jesus Christ from the baptism to the death? The one that we have told you about. Remember what the apostles said? They said in the book of Acts, they said, we need to replace Judas. Right? Judas is an, was an apostle that, that t- fell away. He never did understand. We need to replace him. But when we replace him, we need to choose somebody who is with us from the baptism to the resurrection. Remember that? We need somebody who knows Christ from the termini to the termini, from the beginning to the end, so he can be a witness of that Jesus. And it's well known that about the time that John wrote 1 John, in around 100 AD, there was a man named Serinthus. And Serinthus actually taught. We know about him because of the early church father's writings. What we know about him is not from his writings, but from the writings about him. And about this time, there was a man who came and said, well, Jesus became the Christ when he was baptized, but before he died, the Christ left him. And the death of Jesus really is not meaning anything. Basically, the only thing that matters is that he was baptized and he did his ministry in his life, but his death is meaningless. It's just his life that matters because that was when he was the Christ. When he died, there was no Christ. Nothing was going on there that was of any significance. And John seems to be saying, now, to this I refute. If you believe in a Jesus Christ like that, you are not born of God. You do not understand. You don't know Christ. You do not believe in Christ. I'm talking about the Christ who came by water and blood, not by water only. Miss the blood part, brothers and sisters, and you've got nothing. Nothing. You can believe everything about Jesus Christ, and if you do not believe the part about his death, then you do not know Jesus Christ. You're thinking of a different Jesus and another Christ. Very subtle, though. The water and blood point to the historical facts of who Jesus is. The Spirit bears witness because the Spirit is truth. The Spirit fills those facts with meaning. The Spirit, how does the Spirit bear witness? People might say, well, through miracles and such, supernatural miracles. I suppose, in a sense, the Spirit could bear witness by doing miracles, but the Spirit even more so bears witness through the Scriptures by saying, look at the scriptures. Look at what the scriptures said. Look at what the Spirit said through the prophets. Look at the inspired, God-breathed prophets and what they said the Messiah would do. And then look at the historical facts and see how on earth the historical facts and the prophetic scriptures attest to the Jesus Christ that the apostles are preaching. Do you believe that Jesus or another Jesus. Brothers and sisters, do you believe in this Jesus? The apostolic Jesus? The prophets and the apostles bear witness of him. Is this the Jesus that you believe? The apostles and the prophets agree in one. The reason why I omitted verse 7 in our reading was because verse 7 actually is not in the original uh, scripture. John didn't write verse 7. It's in the King James Bible. Most of the modern translations omit that. If you want to 
If you want to know more about that, just ask me afterwards. The Spirit is truth. Notice it says in verse 6 at the end, the Spirit is truth. Thus, to be filled with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit, is to live and walk and be filled with the truth. When do you ever feel full? Is it not when you are filled with the truth that God loves you, that your sins are forgiven, that Christ died and rose again for you? The application for today, obviously we don't have any syrinthesis running around, but if anyone comes to you and presents a Jesus other than the true Jesus of the apostolic message, of the prophetic message, if someone comes and tells you a Jesus that's different than the true Jesus of the Bible, you're to reject him. Is what we believe today the Jesus that God has given a record about? Do we believe the record? We'll just close with these two verses here. Or this final passage. Verse 9 and 10. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he has testified of his Son. He that believes on the Son of God has the witness in himself. He that believes not God has made God a liar because he believes not the record that God gave of his son. John's very specific here. Someone walks in the bookstore and says, I believe in Jesus. We've got to find out, do you believe the record that God gave concerning his son? We're talking specific. And this is the record that God has given to us. This is the record that God has given to us, eternal life, and this life is in his son. And by the way, the word give means as a free gift. God has freely given to us eternal life. And this free gift of eternal life is, of course, in his Son. How could you have eternal life but through Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has freely given eternal life through his Son? Most, unfortunately, most people would say, no, I don't believe that at all. And there it is in black and white. He that has the Son has life. Someone might say, well, having the Son is just one thing. You need to believe in Jesus and, and you've got to do all these other things too. It's a mixture. It's you and him. You do your part and he does his part. But if he does his part and you don't do your part, then you don't have life. Well, John says he that has the Son has life because the life is in his Son. The life isn't in you. The life isn't in your righteousness and your good deeds. He that has the Son has it all. And he that doesn't have the Son, not only doesn't have the Son, but doesn't have life at all, but death. And it's a beautiful thing, because John says, you've got the apostolic and the prophetic record, you've got God's record concerning a Son, and when you believe in Christ, now you have the record within yourself. Now you have the witness within yourself. What does that mean? It means this. Yesterday, a guy came up to the tent LDS, he told me that he thinks he's a good person, he's trying his best to earn eternal life. But he says, but you know, I, I don't know if I've done enough. And you know, when I think about my sin, I feel an anchor. It's like a heavy anchor on my chest. Guilt. I feel a weight of guilt upon me. He said that to me. I didn't have to pull that out of him. And I told him, I said, I said, that is a very important thing to feel. 
I said, because when you sin, you are guilty, and there is condemnation, and you need to deal with that weight. You can't ignore it, and you need to get rid of it the right way. You don't just want to ignore it away or pretend you're good enough. There's a weight there for a reason. And then I could tell him, I said, you know what? I had that weight too. I felt that weight too of my guilt and my sin. For a time, I was under, and I knew I was condemned. And I felt that very same anchor as you just described. But I want to tell you something. I've got a testimony too. I've got a witness too. When I believed in Jesus Christ, when I trusted in what he did for me on the cross, that weight lifted. Not because I was a good person. It happened surprisingly. I was so shocked when it happened. It wasn't because I did any good thing. But I believed the gospel. I believed the good news. I trusted in God's grace. It was gone. And every single Christian who has believed the gospel has this testimony in themselves. You can tell non-Christians, hey, you know, you got the prophetic testimony, you got the apostolic testimony, but I got a testimony too. I can tell you that I have peace with God through my Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? But if you don't believe, then you're a liar. If you say, oh yeah, I know God and I know Jesus and you don't believe the gospel, you're a liar, plain and simple. Brothers and sisters, do you believe the gospel? If you believe the gospel, it means you have been born again. That's why you believe. God has given it unto you. And if you're born again, you are invincible, according to John. You're in the hollow of God's hand. He's saved you. He's got a hold of you. He's done that work in you, and he will never forsake you. He will never let anyone snatch you out of his hand. You have eternal life. This is not something you're trying to get. You have it, and you know God. You know who God is. How could that be more wonderful? Let's pray. Father in heaven, our Father, who has taught us and given it unto us to believe, we thank you, God. We thank you for, by your will, giving us eternal life, causing us to be born again and to hear the message of the gospel. And God, I thank you for every single person here who has believed the good news. I thank you that you have given it to them, Lord, that you, that is your work in them, and that these are my brothers and sisters, and I love them, and God, I thank you for them, and I thank you that they have eternal life, that they will never perish. I thank you, God. I pray that you would encourage the brothers and the sisters this morning of what they have, that they have life, and that they know you. And God, remind them this morning of what it is to know you, and how awesome it is to know you, and how much you love them, how much they've been loved, how much they have in you. God, show them today and give us joy as we think about you, Lord. Give us assurance and security and comfort so that we can sing with John Newton that amazing grace hymn, Lord, and truly mean that. And God, if there's anyone that doesn't believe in the gospel, I pray that you would cause them to be born again, that you would convict them of their sin. Show them that they believe in a different Jesus because there is only one Jesus. 
And God, we thank you for your word that's so amazing, so full of life. We praise you this morning and bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen.